Grab your Bibles. And turn with me, would you please, uh, turn with me to the 14th chapter of the book of um, John. Now, I said, I can't remember, it's sort of all melting together for me, I guess, since I haven't been teaching on Wednesday, I probably told you this. So here's our plan, what we're going to do, we're going to uh, finish John here, then we're going to move into the book of Daniel, and uh, we're going to complete Daniel on Sunday mornings, so from John to Daniel, and uh, on Wednesday nights after we're done with Haggai, that's the last minor prophet we have to go. We sort of went out of order, but oh well. Uh, we're going to do the uh, Psalms and the Proverbs. Now listen, the men's group's been in the Psalms for seven years, and you think I'm kidding. It has been seven years. I think it's been six years. We're not taking six years. So here, you're going to have to do homework with me. Uh, when we get to the Psalms, we're going to ask you to read 10 Psalms every, uh, be prepared for the Wednesday night, and we're going to try and move through them very quickly the first time we do it. When we're done with that, that'll be the first time we've completely gone through the entire Bible here at Calvary Chapel, and I think we started in 2014, I always get it mixed up, uh, 2014, so only eight years, so we're, we're doing okay. Uh, but then we'll just flip back and we'll get going again. But uh, we all, all also, after um, the Psalms and the Proverbs, we're going to do a series. Oh, yes, we do do series here too. We're going to do a topical series on God and the family and relationships. And it'll either be four or five weeks. Uh, I haven't thought that through yet exactly, but uh, you're going to want to come on Wednesdays and receive from the Lord what the Lord wants to do in your families, in our families, okay? So that's where we're headed. We're at the 14th chapter of the book of John. You ever had a season in life? Oh, yeah, wait a minute before I begin. Also, this coming uh, Friday in Peters Township, we start a new home fellowship at Kelly Clark's house, and we're going to be going through the building blocks or the foundations of the faith for, for the first 14 meetings. And uh, it's going to happen two times a month. And if you need more information about that, see Kelly about that. And, um, but you know, if you have roots that you're already your home fellowship, don't jump ship now. You, 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 you've established roots. That's what home fellowships are for. And so, uh, but anyway, if you want to get plugged in, uh, that's what we're doing. All right. You ever had the time when your whole world has sort of crashed, fallen in? You've been troubled in spirit. You've been anxious. Well, you know, if you read the news and the Barna polls and that sort of thing, and I did, I went out on Barna this morning, anxiety and depression and fear and worry and um, all kinds of things have just exploded. Before 2020, March of 2020, we were on epidemic pace for people who were uh, describing and talking about those things that were affecting people's life. By the way, I read a, 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 a statistic one time, 92% of the things we worry about never had come to fruition. So we're wasting our time and the Lord knows it. But before 2020, March pandemic, all those uh, things that were happening in people, anxiety, fear, worry, were on an epidemic pace. 
And during the pandemic, uh, as you and uh, we sort of know and read, that has exploded. And now, uh, you know, like uh, the drug, you know, the opioids problem, there's this thing that's going around in the world and people are hurting. Well, you ever had your world come crashing down? Listen, I'm uh, going to tell you a little story. Back in 1985, I was at Wittenberg University, but um, there was this young man who, uh, where were you in 1985? Think about that. Anyway, uh, 1985, up in New England, a young man by the name of Eugene Robinson, he gets uh, a scholarship uh, to Colgate uh, from the same years I played, or no, I guess uh, a little earlier, 81 through 85. He was at Colgate. I was somewhere else. You guys were, were whatever you were doing in your life. In 1985, he's drafted by the Seattle Super, or, uh, Seahawks. Eugene Robinson is a Christian. He's very heavily involved in uh, uh, Athletes in Action, Fellowship for Christian Athletes. And he has a very successful career with the Seattle Seahawks. He plays 11 years. In the last three years that Eugene Robinson played with the Seattle Seahawks, he was an all-pro. After 11 years, he gets traded to the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers, while he's there, he plays two years for the Packers, maybe three he, uh, but two of the years, the last two years he plays for the Packers, he goes to a Super Bowl. The first Super Bowl, they win. He gets an interception. They beat his hometown or home area New England Patriots. The next year, the Denver Broncos came back and they beat the Green Bay Packers in San Diego and uh, John Elway's swan song. That time, Eugene Robinson gets traded to the Atlanta Falcons. Now, the Atlanta Falcons, if you know much about the NFL, have had not very good years, but that during the 90s, they had a coach named Dan Reeves, who is a former Denver, or excuse me, former uh, Dallas Cowboy who became the coach of the Denver Broncos and was very successful. And his swan song in coaching was with the Atlanta Falcons. Well, they get Eugene Robinson and they make this improbable run to the Super Bowl. And Jan and I, we at this time, we live in Hawaii because this sort of our world sort of it connected here but so they're getting ready for the super bowl and i don't know if you know this but the either the fca or uh, athletes in action every year uh on the day before the super bowl have a prayer breakfast and that year the prayer breakfast takes place and eugene robinson receives the man of the year award for athletes in action it's called the Bart Starr Award, and uh, he receives that, and uh, that's a big deal, of course. And uh, Eugene Robinson goes about his day, and later that night, Eugene Robinson goes out and solicits a prostitute and gets caught by a cop. And he does it in the evening, and the next day is the Super Bowl. And do I have to even go into the feelings that Eugene Robinson must have felt. By the way, in the Super Bowl, uh, they get beat. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons get beat that day. And uh, uh, they, Eugene Robinson gives up a touchdown, a long pass, and they lose. I forget the score, but it was 32-17, something like that. And he had a very tough day. Needless to say, uh, by the way, he gave back the award. Needless to say, Eugene Robinson's world came crashing down. 
Think about all the things that are tied up in all of that. And I'm not throwing Eugene Robinson after, uh, under the bus. We're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And we've all acted ugly. And I want to tell you, if I forget the end of the story, and I'll do it at the end of the sermon, remind me if I get fired up. But I don't even have to go in, do I? To how much Eugene Robinson's world comes crashing down. Admittedly, he didn't get much sleep. He thought about it all night. The embarrassment, the betrayal, the hurt, the pain, the stain on the Lord's name, all these things that must have been going through Eugene Robinson's heart and mind and life right before his teammates' biggest game of the year. Listen, he'd been there the last two years prior with Green Bay. And all the things that he must have felt, his world was coming down. It was crashing down. And when you get to the 14th chapter of the book of John, see, the disciples' world is coming crash, or is crashing down. What do I mean? Remember, uh, Jesus had said in the previous chapter, by the way, he'd said it before anyway, he'd say, he'd say that uh, he was going away and the places he was going, <laughs> they couldn't go. You can't follow me. And so think about it. If you're a disciple and you're hearing these things from Jesus, remember, we're in the upper room. We're 12 hours away from he being hung on a cross. And he takes the time to love his disciples, to bend the knee, to wash their feet, and to think of them, and he's telling them these things that are causing great confusion. He's saying things like, you can't follow me. And they're like, what? What do you mean? And he's telling them that one of them's going to be a traitor. And they don't really know which one it is. And during the supper, isn't this interesting, in another gospel, not in John, it says that they're arguing about the table, about who's the greatest in the kingdom. In other words, they're acting like humans. He even says at the end of chapter 13, Peter. Really, Peter? And I don't think he's saying it like I would say it, really like sarcastic. He's saying, really, Peter? He's saying, I know... I know that you would live for me, but would you die for me? And he's saying, Peter, you're in this place where you're relying upon this false, listen, don't tune out here, this false sense of fleshly living where you think you're going to conjure up the discipline and the fortitude and the bravery and the courage not to deny me because you're walking according to natural ability. And you're saying, I'll never do it. And within hours, he's denying the Lord. And the Lord predicts it. He says, before the rooster shall crow, you'll have denied me three times. I'm just trying to paint you a picture of the world that's coming crashing down, the confusion, the betrayal, the hurt, the, the, the fear that's happening up in this upper room because they don't understand it all. And here in chapter 14, which is an unfortunate chapter break, 
You can't really understand chapter 14 unless you read chapter 13. They're confused, they're hurt, they're angry, they're fearful, they're bitter, they're wondering, they have a knot in their stomach. You ever had a knot in your stomach about something where you couldn't sleep? Just something bothering you and you can't, it's just what you're, this is, this is them right here. And with that, listen to what the Lord says. So straightforward, so perfect, so wonderful. Who here today is worried about something? You don't have to raise your hand, but who are you worried about something? Are you anxious about something? Are you, have you been betrayed? Are you confused about something that the Lord is doing? Uh, uh, have people hurt you? Are you in a relationship and it's not going exactly the way you want it to go? Well, this is for you. This is all time for us, for you, for us. He tells it to his followers and he says this, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, but believe also in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. Well, I want you and us to study and to examine today what it is Jesus would tell a person if their heart was troubled. And here he does. He just lays it out really plain. This word troubled in the Greek means just that. It means those, that heaviness, the dread, the fear, the, um, uh, the anxiety, the, the knot in the stomach, the, the thing that won't let you go to sleep, your mind that worries, that inner person here is troubled. And Jesus says at this time, by the way, just time out. I want you to know something, just, just even this fact. He's getting ready to go be betrayed. And you know the story of the horrors of it. And he's ministering to them. Amazing. He's saying this, let not your heart be troubled. Here's the first thing. You say, oh, you're a pastor. You have to say it. I don't, I'm not saying it. The Lord here is giving you a spiritual prescription for troubled hearts. Let's pick it apart. He says, first of all, believe in God. Believe also in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. Incredible. This is an astounding statement. You know this by heart, so it doesn't really impact you. You've heard it a million times, maybe. But this is a wow moment. This is awesome. This is incredible. He's saying to them, you believe in God. If you want to be trouble-free, heart-sick-free, then the first thing you need to do is as you believe in God, believe in me. What does believe mean? See, these aren't words about knowing a fact. Anybody can know a fact. Like, oh, he says he's God. Okay. Oh, it says he died and rose again. I know the fact. That's not what this believe is meaning here. Like, oh, I believe the fact. This is more than that. This is becoming everything to you. you you're putting all your spiritual and life trust into the fact, watch, that Jesus is God. 
And if Jesus is God, that's an astounding thing. And here we see the separation. We're starting to see the Trinity, or we start to see the, or we do see the Trinity right here. Jesus is God, and yet there's a person distinction, the Father and the Son. You believe in God, the Father, believe also in me, the Son. And the amazing part about this thing is if you think it through, is that why would anybody, why would anybody put everything they are, value, trust, belief, uh, your whole life, why would you give up your whole life to follow Jesus? Well, there's a key here. Maybe you aren't catching it. If you know the story of the Bible, and it's you do, most of you in here, the story of the Bible is God getting men and women, boys and girls, into the family of God because of sin. They're outside the family of God. And the whole story of the Bible is God just doing that. And the way that he chose to do it, he planned to do it, he had figured out to do it. Now watch, is that he, the Father, would give the Son. In other words, God was willing to give everything, everything, so that you could be with him and your heart wouldn't be troubled. So the first thing you have to do, Jesus says, not the pastor, Jesus says, is whatever you do, make sure you believe in God. You say, come on, I, I believe in God. Yes, but here's the point. Do you believe him when you're being betrayed? Uh, do you believe him when your whole world is coming down? Do you believe him when your beloved goes to be with the Lord? Do you believe him when the boss comes in and says, sorry, can't use you anymore, and your rent's due? Do you believe him when one's walked away from you? Do you believe him when the doctor says cancer? Do you believe him when the doctor says heart disease, irreparable? Do you still believe? I want to give you something here. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I want you to just see it for yourself. I thought I would say it, but I want you to see it. Look in verse 31. Romans 8 is an amazing chapter to learn and to understand. But here at the end, sort of, as Paul starts to get to the end, he says, what then shall we say to these things? I mean, what can we say? If I was ever at a loss for words, Paul saying, well, I mean, after all, giving you all this doctrine, all this, well, what else can I say? Here's, the, here's, here's something I could say, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now watch this. Now watch this. I wish we would be able to stamp this in our hearts, and when our worlds came crashing down, we'd remember this. It's this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. By the way, that gives a different spin to the gospel accounts. It wasn't that they caught Jesus. The father delivered him up. He delivered him up for us all. 
how shall he, not with him, also, watch, freely give us all things? Period. You say, why are you getting so excited about that? Because some of us act like we serve a old curmudgeonly father who grasps onto things and just is over there, you know, with his thumb on top of you, just waiting to say no. No, he's a dad that loves you and wants to give you freely all things. You're going to see it here in a minute. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect representation of God on earth as a man. In Jesus, listen, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, Colossians tells us. Everything that God is, Jesus is. And yet he came as a man and laid aside the rights and privileges to his deity to show us how to live as a man in perfect dependence upon the Father. And that's Philippians 2. Now, when you go back to John chapter 14, it says, he says just very plainly, if your world is crashing down, and disciples, I know, Jesus is saying, your world is coming down right now. I've told you some things. There's some betrayal. There's some things you don't understand. And he's saying, trust me. Like you want to trust God, trust me. And I want you to see something. The Christian life, it's peace that we derive from the Lord himself. Watch, is not based on circumstances or some funny formula. Seven keys to happiness. Oh my goodness. It's based on a relationship of belief and trust in the one who loves you more than you love yourself. So here's what he says. Believe in God, believe also in me. Everything that you have, everything that you are, I can't believe we saying I surrender all. But you know, here's what I do. I surrender some. And I need to learn to believe and to trust more and more. Right? Isn't that a hymn too? Yeah, anyway. So the first thing is to believe God. Believe also in me. Here's what I think helps me to believe him more and more. When I am getting in that place of unbelief, you know where I like to turn and maybe you do too. Uh, Tozer has a great book on him. A.W. Pink has a good book on it. Uh, you can get the, the list online free on Precept Austin, Spurgeon's list. I like to go and just read and see the scriptures about the attributes of God. Because if I'm going to believe, I'm only, my belief is only as good as the object that I'm believing in. Do everybody follow that? And when I have a troubled heart, I need real strength and real direction and real purpose and real love, not just something that's conjured up by me. I need the backing of the Lord. I need the Lord in view. So study his attributes. If you're going to believe in God, believe in Jesus, study his attributes. Find out not what you think up here God's like. That can get skewed. You know how it can get skewed? God put people in families and the families were supposed to be godly. But guess what? Some of our families weren't so godly. And some of our dads weren't great. Mine was good, but I'm just saying, right? 
And we can get skewed through that. So go into the scriptures and meditate on the attributes of God so that we, in the middle of hard things, betrayal, world coming down, confusion, don't understand things, mad, angry, sad, believe in Jesus. That's what he's saying. Just like you would believe in God. And then he says this, in my father's house. I just want to stop there. You know what one of the most famous Christmas carols or Christmas songs is? I don't know if it's a carol, but anyway, Christmas songs of all time. It was written during the war, 1943. Uh, It was from the perspective of soldiers and people who were overseas. It's this song that many of you sing or whistle or whatever you do. Bing Crosby recorded it in 1943, I'll Be Home for Christmas. When you listen or sing to yourself, I'll be home for Christmas, don't you? You get this glow in your heart. Ah, to be home and to do the traditions and to do the things. Even uh, John Denver chimed in, right? Uh, Take me home, country roads. And that was a big hit. And uh, uh, people love it. Uh, Home. I I want you to see something. The place that you're being or that you're going to, we call it heaven. Whatever you, you, right? We call it heaven. It's the Father's Home that where he is and you're going. This one book, if you've never read this book, uh, this author just died last week, David McCullough. He wrote a book called Adams or John Adams. I don't know if you know this, but John Adams had a son named John Quincy Adams. Uh, in this book, uh, John Quincy Adams talks about uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Adam, John and his wife, Abigail, I think it is. And I'll never forget this quote. John Quincy Adams said, Mom and Dad made our home an abode, are you catching what I'm saying? An abode of enchantment. They had a beautiful, godly, loving, happy home. He called it an abode of enchantment. That's this. I want you to see something. Sometimes we speak of heaven as a place that we're going and sort of, you know, we talk about gold streets or whatever you talk about and you want to know the dimensions and all that sort of thing. But the first thing you ought to know about the place that we're going, he's telling the disciples here, is that it's a home. You think, I think when we sing take me home country (laughs) or I'll be home for Christmas or all those sorts of things. You're longing for this place called home that maybe was your home. And yes, home is good. I mean, home is good. It should be a place of love and safety and security and fun and all those sorts of things. But your heart is really yearning for the father's home, your home with the father. And here he says, I don't want you to miss it. I I want you to see it. The first thing to not let your heart be troubled is to believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. And the reason you believe in uh, him is because of his attributes. He'll never let you down. And then he goes on and he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. Now watch this. Not you generically. You. You. Specifically and individually, you, you, you. He's going to prepare a place for you. 
My room will have Ohio State memorabilia and things like that. No, I'm kidding. But it, it'll be the, you know, he's, what I'm saying is it's specific to you. He knows what you like. He loves you. He cares for you. You ever gone and visited a family and they prepared the room up for you and you were like, wow, this is so nice. At our house, we just sort of throw you a sleeping bag. And, but anyway. <laughs> but here he says, in my father's house are many mansions. The word he uses in the Greek is abodes, places of living, dwelling places. In the father's house, which is a home, you're going to a home. You believe in Christ, you're going to a home. We're starting to raise the level of our heart from here to here. We're going to be heavenly minded. We're not going to be earthly minded. The Lord is saying the next several days are going to be the hardest days you've ever had. They don't even know it yet. They've sort of been told this several times. And one of the things that I want you to do is just keep trusting me. When the cross seems empty and dead, I'm coming back to life. So keep trusting me. Keep trusting me. And also remember, you're going to a home. And there's a home in heaven, a place for you. He says this, do this to keep the troubles away. And there are many mansions. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I referred to this a few minutes ago. There's nothing wrong. I mean, you can read through Revelation 21, Revelation 22, Revelation 23. I'm just seeing if you're... Um, awake right now. There is no 23. But anyway, you can read through the last two chapters of the book and see sort of some of the things about heaven. But, you know, sometimes people will ask, am I going to know people in heaven? Yeah, you're going to know people in heaven. You're not going to be dumber in heaven than you are here. But see, here's the thing. And you're always saying, well, am I going to be married? Am I going to be married? Am I going to know my spouse? And some of you want that to happen. And some of you, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but the thing is, you're not going to be preoccupied with that. See, the point about heaven is not the streets and the dimensions. That's fine. If you want to look into that, be a Berean, Fantastic. But you're missing it if you miss this. Heaven is where Jesus is. It's where the Lord is. It's where the Father is. The great thing about heaven is you'll be with the Lord. <laughs> I mean, when you're with somebody you love, and you just love to spend time with them, I mean, you don't care. You don't care if it's Burger King or, you know, the Lamont or what. Whatever. I mean, you just want to be with the person. And here, heaven will be amazing and wonderful in all those ways. But the point is, and this is the thing that you should take into yourself, there, where I am, there you're going to be also. There you may be also. Not only the fact that you're to believe in him in the hardest of times when everything looks bleak and dead, but that there is a home for you eventually. In other words, this is just fleeting. It'll be gone. That thing that's driving you batty at night, that keeps you up at night, it's going to be gone soon. 
And you're going to be with the Lord forever. And he'll be in your presence and you'll be with him and you'll be worshiping him. And none of this is going to even be a blip on the screen for you. That doesn't mean the thing that you're in isn't important or whatever. But what the Lord's saying here is there's a matter of perspective in your life. And we all wreck destroy the perspective. We're always down here in the weeds and never up here. And people say you can't be any earthly good and you're heavenly minded. I say that's totally wrong. I say the more heavenly minded you are, the better earthly good you are too. You have a greater perspective. You're more free. You're able to make decisions. You're not bound up. I think we should think more of heaven and in his presence. Well, here's what Thomas says to him. Thank goodness for Thomas. If I was in the the room with this, I would be asking this question. Wouldn't you? Because they don't understand it all yet. Lord, we don't know where you're going. We we don't know where you're going. Turn with me back to John chapter 7, verse 33. Lord, Thomas says, we don't really know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Look back at verse 33. Jesus had already told them, he was speaking to the religious leaders, but no doubt the disciples heard him. Jesus said to the religious leaders, I'll be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. So Jesus had introduced this stuff before, but they aren't getting it, and that's okay. I don't always get it, do you? And so he's saying here, being real honest. And this leads me to my next point. Prayer. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but this is a prayer. Lord, I'm confused. I don't understand. You've been telling me. I've heard it in John 7.33, although it wasn't called that back then. But I heard it before. You've, You've said this before. You've told the religious leaders these things. I've heard you say it. And for some reason, Lord... I'm just not getting it. What do you think that is? Prayer. By the way, what is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tell you that the antidote for anxiety is? Actually, anxiety. He says prayer. He says, be anxious for nothing. And in my limited knowledge, anxiety and anxious are related. Be anxious for nothing, but by uh, everything, by prayer and supplication. Remember this? With thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. But listen, you say, oh, okay, here's what I'll do then. I'll get up every morning and I'll say 15 minutes of prayer and my anxiety is going to go away. See, you're using that as a lucky rabbit's foot. You're not getting what prayer is. Prayer is an entering in to a relationship with the Lord where, look, you open up your heart to the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm confused. I'm hurting. I'm anxious. I don't know where to turn. I'm fearful. I'm scared. And I need help. You just open up your heart to the Lord and you say, I'm helpless. I need your resource. I need the balm of Gilead. I need healing here because I can't heal on my own. Just help me here, Lord. That's prayer. And here Thomas engages in it. And Jesus says something amazing. 
He comes with another I am statement. That's one of the themes of John. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for, uh, by me. Now, this is very interesting. Uh, William Barclay speaks of this in his commentary on the book of John. It's this, is that the Old Testament uh, writers speak about the way in a lot of passages in the Old Testament. And so for Jewish people who were living at the time, they would be very acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. For instance, Deuteronomy 5, God said to Moses, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. Moses then said to the people in Deuteronomy 31, uh, I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and corruptly and turn aside from the way which I commanded you. And then in Isaiah 30, it says this, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Did you catch that? There'll be this thing. Um, uh, how about this in Isaiah 35? In the, uh, um, in the brave new world, uh, there was a highway in Isaiah 35 called the way of holiness, Isaiah 35. And in the psalmist's writings, they had a prayer. One of them was very simple. Psalm 27, even the men's group has gone past Psalm 27 in seven years. It was this, teach me the way, O Lord. William Barclay gives an interesting little analogy here. He says, suppose that we were in a little town somewhere we didn't know. Pittsburghers are famous for this, right? They tell you, go down to the tree, take a left, go do five cartwheels, and you'll be there. And there's one thing about telling people the way. You know, go down there, take a little da-da-da. But you know what's even better before GPS is with somebody would go say, hey, listen, I'll get in the car with you and I'll go with you. That's what Jesus is saying here. I'll go with you and bring you to the place of your final destination, the Father's house. Wow. Here's other things. Uh, you know, uh, the truth, for instance, uh, in Psalm 86, the Old Testament says this in Psalm 86, the way, O Lord, that I may walk, or thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Teach me thy way. And uh, uh, how about this in Psalm 26? For thy steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in faithfulness to thee. I have chosen the way of truth, Psalm 119 tells us. And so there was this idea in the Old Testament of the truth. He isn't just saying, listen to this, Jesus isn't just saying that this statement is his moral perfection. He's saying that moral perfection finds its realization in him. That's what he's saying. He's saying not to you, be good. He's saying, I have achieved that and I'm the way. Do you get that? He's the truth. How many people, folks, how many people don't know where they're going in life? That's the great thing about being a Christian. Every morning, every day, you know where you're going in life. 
It's the upward call of the prize of Jesus Christ. It's to glorify God, be fruitful for him, to bear fruit for others. And it doesn't matter whether you work for waste management or you're at the soccer game or you're doing, uh, I don't know, some Excel spreadsheets or you're writing out a letter for somebody else. I don't know. Whatever you do all day long, you work with your hands, you're doing, we're all rowing in the same direction, but we have different places that we do it. We're... We know the way, and we're showing other people the way, and we're doing it through the truth that's personified, that comes to life in Jesus. So we never have to doubt, oh my goodness, am I telling this person the right thing? Yeah, because all I'm doing is pointing them to Jesus. And then the last thing is, I'm the life. You know this in the Proverbs chapter 6, it says this, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching of light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Proverbs 10, 17, he who heeds instruction is on the path to life. Psalm 16, you show me the path of life, said the psalmist. And what I'm trying to tell you is he picks these things because the people that he's talking to, the disciples, know the scriptures, and they've sort of wanted some sort of paradigm. How do I know the way. How do I know truth? How do I know what real life is like? And Jesus is saying, all of those things that were said back in that Old Testament come alive in me. And that's what he's telling him. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what to think the world says. I don't know if I can even go on. That's the language of the world. And sometimes it's the language of the Christian. But here's what the Christian responds to. I serve Jesus who doesn't just show me the way. He takes me the way. He is the way. He is truth. And he is life. I never have to know who, or I never have to go out um, without my own identity or who I am and the way that I'm going. It solves all of that. He solves all of that. So that you never have to see yourself in the past. All those bad things I did. I have so much guilt or somebody's done it to me. Well, in the past, you say, well, my sins are forgiven. So now I have a fresh start. Or what about if somebody's done something bad to me? Well, I'm no longer that person, that victim person. No, I'm not a victim. I'm a victor because I'm in Christ. I have a new identity. It solves, he solves it all the way and the truth and the life. I get up every morning and I'm saying, I like us, we all get up every morning and we can know our mission. That's an amazing thing. Well, he goes on and he says this, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. He's that perfect representative of God. In him dwells all the fullness, as I said earlier, of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2.9 tells us. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. In other words, you don't have to wait like you think to go to heaven to know God. It is going to be amazing because we're going to be in his presence, but you can know God today, right now. Because you know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know God. And so what are we doing here? Let's reorient ourselves. 
the Lord is telling us how to keep our heart from trouble. He's not saying you won't be troubled. In fact, he actually tells us we will have tribulations in this world. Sometimes the circumstances of our life, the worldly circumstances will be in the toilet. And sometimes they're going to be on the mountaintop. But through it all, through it all, you see, he's saying your heart doesn't need to be troubled. And the thing that he tells us here after prayer is, I want you to have a real knowledge of who I am and what I'm about, the way and the truth of the life. And I want you to know that you have access to the God of the universe. Not just to access, you know him and can interact with him by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you had known me, you would have known my father. And this is that word of known that I was talking about earlier. There's degrees of known in the Greek. Like you know something analytically. That's not this word. This word is on the continuum scale of knowing somebody and being in love with somebody and uh, giving your whole life to somebody and uh, being uh, friends with somebody, uh, you know, being intimate. That's what this, this word means here. And he's saying you can have that relationship. In other words, he doesn't want to ha- you to have a cold and distant relationship from the father. Are you catching that? Some of us think the father's up there just ready to smash us over the head with a two by four. And Jesus brings us into a place where he is saying, that's not what it's like at all. You can know the Lord, the father, and you know, by looking through me, you look at me. Well, Philip then says, I love these questions. They're just us. Thomas said, I don't really understand. Philip says, Lord, show us the father and it's sufficient for us. Now, Have you been reading what I've been reading? I know what I'd say. Right here, if uh, I was writing the Gospel of John, but I'm not named John, I would have this unbelievable smart aleck comment. Like, Philip, have you been awake for the last 10 minutes? Uh, Pick your ears and not your nose, something like that. I mean, he's not listening. And here, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? I want you to see something here. Watch, guys. You can be real close to the Lord and not know him very well. And I'm not criticizing Philip here. But there's a big difference about than knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Big difference. You can come to church for 50, 60, 70 years. You know this book inside and out and you know all the facts, but it's all up here and there's some way that you don't know him here. And we don't want to miss that. And I'm not criticizing Philip because I'm this way sometimes and probably you are too. I'm thick-headed. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? I don't think the Lord's saying that like I would say that. He's saying it out of compassion. He's saying, I don't want you to be close to me and around me and hear all the sermons and give the money and serve and not know me in a deep, intimate way. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How patient is the Lord? 
How patient is the Lord with Philip right here? Getting, listen, he's ready to die. He still takes the time and patience and walks him through it. Can you hardly believe that? And he says to him, you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Here, look how patient the Lord is. Just follow along with me. Go back to John 5. Uh, go back to John 5 and look right here in uh, verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Look at John 8, verse 28 also. John 8, 28. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. In other words, going back to John 14, I want you to see how patient Jesus is. He said these things. He's talked about these things. He's taught these things. And he just does it over again. Show us the Father. If you've seen me, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. John 5 and John 8 talk about it further. He's so patient. He keeps telling you this. The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority. You could go back to John 7, verse 16. John 8, 28, we just looked at. And John 12, 49 and 50. And it says that he does speak the things that his Father tells him. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. See, here's what he's doing here. He's trying to give you this father-son distinction, and yet same in nature and essence. He's telling you about the Trinity here, and it's a beautiful thing right here in the upper room. He's saying that I'm living as a man even though I'm still God. And that while I'm here, I rely upon the resource and the strength and the power and the wisdom and the direction and the counsel of my father. He, when he tells me something to say, then I say it. Boy, I could use that. How about you? When he shows me something to do, then I do it. When he gives me uh, people to bless or to speak to, then I go and speak to them. I'm living in perfect reliance upon the Father, and yet I'm still God. That's what's going on here. And you're saying to yourself, you're sort of just, you're sort of just glazing over on me. But I want you to see, this is the prescription for a troubled heart. He's saying there is hope and resource for the normal Joe or Jane, like me, sorry, Jane, not this Jane, but the normal person, just a man or a woman, can do it, but not in their own strength, but the power that comes only from the Father. You can walk through this life even with a troubled heart. He's trying to tell you this. Then he says this, most assuredly, 
I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Can you believe it? You say your life doesn't matter? I don't know what to do. I don't know where to serve. I don't know what, what? He says, listen, in Christ, you're going to do greater works than I'm going to do. And what does that mean? Does it mean greater works in quality? Of course not. Who could outdo the walking on the water? Who could outdo the feeding of the 5,000? No, it doesn't mean that. But listen, this is the part you need to know. Philippians 2, again, he was a man. He lived in one little spot in Israel. He says, why do you think he says, go into the outer ends of the earth and share my good news and I'll give you resource and strength. Now, there's people in every country, every nation, every tribe and tongue, and people are coming to know the Lord. By the way, just time out, where is the church growing exponentially? And you don't think so because you, you and I, and we watch news and news doesn't tell you the whole story. It's in the Middle East where the church is being persecuted or in China, it's going like this, kapow, it's blowing up. But here he says there's going to be greater works because I go to my father. This is the key. And whenever, uh, what happens, he's going to tell us here in a minute, I'll give the story away. When he goes to the Father, he's going to send the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. You're going to have access to all the resources, all the power that the Father gives through the Spirit. And he says this, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Lord, give me the most amazing Maserati. I'm reading what you told me you said you'd do. Well, you're reading the Bible out of context, and you hear it on much of Christian TV. That's not it. When you pray according to the name of Christ, it's not something you tag on at the end of your prayers so you'll get what you want. It's praying in the nature and character of Christ. See, prayer's not so much you getting your will done with the Father. It's the Lord changing you and conforming you to his will so that when you start praying in his character and nature, as you explore the attributes of God, you start praying according to the will of God. And here come the answers. Bang, 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 bang. And you're so blessed. What? is amazing for a troubled heart to see answered prayers according to the character and will and nature of God. He says, that'll happen. Well, look at this. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Now he introduces love into the mix. There's love. Know that you're loved. Don't tune out. You have troubled hearts. You're going to save yourself a lot of heartache here. Don't tune out. Enter, uh, put love into the mix. My father loves me. He would give anything. He didn't even withhold his son. And because of that, I want to do and value and look at and know and understand exactly what commandments are there for me today. And whatever those things are that the Lord is asking me to do, 
I want to do them. And it's not because I want to gain something or anything. It's because I'm in love with my father. I love my dad. And he loves me. Why? You, you, you know. When you're in a family and your children do things, even things that they don't like, because you've asked them, not in some ogre way, but you know, you needed help or something, and they come alongside and help, man. That's a big, good feeling, isn't it? And it, you know they're doing it because they, they love you and you love them. It's not because they want to do it. It's because you love them. How do you feel and know the love of God? Listen. You know the old hymn, Trust and Obey? There it is. You want to know the love of God in deeper ways? Well, sing trust and obey to the Lord and mean it. Trust and obey. Like this one. I'll just give you one, for instance. Forgive. There's some of us here holding grudges against people. And you're saying, I won't do it. And the Lord's saying, well, I've asked you to do it. <laughs> or how about this? Ready? Oh, boy. Here it comes. Love somebody that doesn't believe in politics the way that you do. Go share a meal with them and hear their story and be willing to listen to all the things you disagree with and love them anyway. People who wear masks or don't wear masks or get a vaccine or don't get a vaccine. People who believe it was a conspiracy and people who don't believe it was conspiracy. Why don't you get together and love each other in the name of Jesus? See, because that's what he's commanding you to do. He said, love one another as I have loved you. I don't know if you know this, but we, <laughs> when, when Jesus was on the earth, the people didn't really necessarily do everything he wanted them to do. And he still loved them unto death. So those are our commandments. And he says, I'm going to do this for you, though. He goes, here, how about this? I'm not just going to pat you on the head and say, do it. I'm going to give you the resource and ability to do it. So here's what I'll do. I'll pray the Father, and when I go away, he's going to come and give you another helper, uh, another helper, a paraclete. Uh, in the Greek, it's one who comes alongside, puts his arm around you, and helps. Uh, later, right here, he's called the Spirit of Truth. Uh, he's also called the Comforter. In 1 John, I think it's chapter 2, this same word paraclete is translated advocate. I don't know if you ever been to court as a defendant. Don't raise your hand if you have. It's stressful, even if you go to uh, traffic court, right, Jan? So, uh, <laughs> it's stressful. You got this mean judge looking down at you, but man, do you feel better when the advocate comes up and stands with you and says, I'll talk for you. You just let me do the talking. I know that you know how this works and I'm going to talk. Boy, a big relief comes over you, even if the result isn't even the best. But here, Jesus is the advocate. He's our helper. He's the spirit of truth. He's the comforter whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Boy, you know what that tells me to do for my unsaved friends? If you're in here and you're unsaved, you know what? Pray for them because the world doesn't know the Holy Spirit. What's the one unpardonable sin? Rejection of the Holy Spirit. Here he says the world can't know or receive or know or receive because he doesn't know for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
And here he starts to talk about the different, listen to this, relationships that we have with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we are unsaved, comes alongside and he draws you into a relationship with him. It's sort of where we differ with our Calvinistic friends. He comes alongside and he says, you're a sinner and I want you to see it. And the reason I want you to see it, the Holy Spirit says, is so you'll latch on to Jesus, so you'll trust Jesus. He's with you and he comes alongside. And then the moment that you give your life to Jesus, he comes into you. He comes in you. He makes his home in you. He's Christ in you now. The hope of glory. Praise the Lord. But there's one other relationship. And you find that in the first of Acts. When the Holy Spirit for the saved person comes upon a person for power and resource and ministry. And we believe that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But here you see it. He dwells with you and he'll be in you. And then he says, I will not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. Come on, folks. What's scarier? And some of us in here, I'm not making fun. Some of us in here have been orphans. What's scarier than when you're alone and you're fatherless or parentless? You don't know the direction in life and the Lord comes into your life and becomes your dad. That's powerful stuff. And he says, I know I'm going away, but I'm going to send the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, I will come to you. And then finally, look at this. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you also will see me. When? When he died and then he rose again and he appeared to them. And because I live, you will live also. I'm the resurrection and the life, it says in John. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. You just, I, I know I'm trying to finish here, but you want to know a prescription for the troubled heart is that you have a relationship with God and Jesus as Jesus has a relationship with the Father. It's powerful. You have a relationship with him. And he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Trust and obey. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. We can enjoy the Father's love. There's too much talk, not really, but there's so much talk about how we can love the Father, but you'll never be able to love the Father until you know that he loved you first. And that's the point. Judas, not Iscariot, verse 22, said to him, so great. I mean, the, if I was writing this book, I wouldn't put the questions in. I'd try to make it perfect. Here you get the questions that we're all thinking. Another one says, well, wait a minute. How is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because I don't have time right now, but because in Matthew 24, 30, you go read that after it. He sort of indicates that that's what's going to happen. And so Judas, not Iscariot, is asking this question. And he said to him, uh, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Heaven. We often go, well, my goodness, you know, when I die in 20 years, which by the way, I could die stepping off the stage. I'm going to be in heaven and presence and all that. It would be amazing. Look what he just says right here. 
We're going to come to you and make our home in your heart. Wow. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So he's saying just dwell on relationship. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Now watch. I know you want to go, and I'm happy to let you go here in 25 minutes, but he's saying, don't forget what I just told you for a troubled heart. All the things, you could list them out, all the things. And when you do this, look at this, he's going, shalom, I leave with you. The word of the Israelis, the Jewish people. And shalom just doesn't mean peace. You know this, right? And peace to us means absent of bad things so that we can fill our agenda with good things like vacation and, oh, man, if I can just get rid of that thing off my desk and what the boss is, then, man, vacation's going to be amazing. That's not what shalom means. It does mean the uh, uh, disappearance of negative things, maybe, but maybe not. It means health and wholeness and and spiritual stability. And he's saying, peace I leave with you. Of course, he would say that to his Jewish friends. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Watch, he reiterates it. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. By the way, if you go over to 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul actually says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things and to comfort yourself with these words. And I believe right there in between those two things that he says, he says that he's going to come back for the church in the clouds. I believe he's speaking of the rapture. And he says, far from it being a doctrine you don't want to talk about, you should talk about it and think about it and remember it. All the things, plus the fact that I'm coming back for you. Peace I leave, peace I give, Not your, so your hearts won't be troubled or afraid. I'm going away and coming back. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. He's not denying his deity. He's just saying currently I'm a man, and I've come and lowered myself, and I'm living as a man. I've never given up my rights, or excuse me, I've never given up my deity. Don't, I'm not saying that. But he's not saying he's less than the Father. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. And he has nothing in me, the ruler of this world. Bye. Don't. You want to have an untroubled heart? Don't let the devil have a foothold in any way. Jesus perfectly had nothing that the devil could get a foothold on. If you... If your phone leads you to look at naked girls, you know what I'm telling you to do? Take your phone and crush it. And don't tell me you're so important that you need a phone. You're not that important, and neither am I. But don't let the devil get a foothold. And then you run around and say, why am I troubled? Why is my marriage in trouble? Duh! Whatever it is, I've just used that because it's a great, great picture. But whatever it is, don't let the devil get a foothold. 
Whatever it is, your weakness is, don't let him. Ask the Lord by the Holy Spirit so that your heart won't be troubled. And then it finishes, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. And he says, arise, let us go from here. And that's funny. (laughs) Some people in my family like to talk. But it's not Jan always, it's Cade likes to talk. Actually, uh, you know, Andy here, who's not here, we'll pick on him. We call him Jandy, because Andy likes to talk. But this is really funny, because it says, arise, let us go from here. They don't start going till chapter 18, and we'll get there, Okay. Here's what I want to tell you as we leave, and I think we're even going to sing, even though it's a little late. Are we singing? I don't see him, so I don't know. Maybe we won't. But here's what I want to say. Look through this chapter by yourself. Oh, I see her. They're coming. Look through this chapter by yourself. Ask the Lord to touch you and show you where your heart is troubled. What is your heart troubled about? You see, the Lord is probably not going to eliminate the situation. You get it? The Lord's not going to eliminate the situation. What the Lord is saying is you can be untroubled in the middle of the situation. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this morning and your heart to share with us that you care and want to comfort and help and be our advocate and stand with us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us because I know there's a lot of people who have anxious and worried hearts. And I pray you'd help us in these times. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me finish the story for you. Eugene Robinson today, for the last 16 years, (laughs) has taken these things to heart. He says today, praise the Lord that with him and the Lord, he won't just be remembered for a mistake he made, a sin he committed one night in 1999. For the last 16 years, he has been teaching and coaching in a Christian high school. And there's many stories, if you look at his life, of how he's impacted lots of people. No doubt, Eugene Robinson was comforted by the Lord even though he acted ugly. See, that's what the gospel's all about. (laughs) When we focus on us being perfect, and yes, we do want to obey his commands, and we do want to pursue holiness, but when we don't, we have a God that redeems everything. Amen.